Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Have you ever spotted McDonald's hot, crispy fries right as they're being scooped into the carton? And time just stands still. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like when your fantasy league meets up at your house. Everything's great until the hot plate gets too hot for the tablecloth. Now your kitchen's up in smoke. And if you don't have the right home insurance coverage, the cost to fix this is anything but a fantasy. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Not available in every state. Based on coverage selected. Subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. Hello and welcome to the Bike Radar podcast. Brought to you from the team behind Cycling Plus, MBUK and BikeRadar.com. Hi there, welcome to the Bike Radar podcast. I'm Tom Marvin, one of the technical editors here at Bike Radar. And join me through the magic of... MS Teams is Seb Stott, um, our technical writer on our Tech Hub. How's it going, Seb? Yeah, good. Thank you, Tom. Yeah. Excellent. Whereabouts are you, to? Are you in the Forest of Dean today? I'm in my house, which is, yeah, just on the edge of the Forest of Dean. So Definitely. no riding for me today, though, unfortunately. No. Well, d- down here in Bristol, it's very, very windy, which is um, fairly pertinent. Uh, with regards to our conversation today, because uh, beautiful segue, Tom. Yeah, well a, a great segue. <laughs> we, um, we, uh, you were around um, down my way recently, um, and one of the bikes uh, I had at the time was the new Canyon Exceed, which is their cross country hardtail. Um, it's their, I've got their CFR one, their Canyon Factory Racing, which is their super high end, super high modulus XYZ uh, carbon race bike. And one of the things that we noticed was the handlebars. So, um, Seb, what, what sort of what conversation did we have from from that? Yeah, so that that bike has a an integrated bar and stem, which has been done before. Uh, Scott, uh, well, Syncross did that a while ago um and it's obviously designed to save weight so so by having the the stem and the handlebar made of one piece of carbon you can save a few grams which obviously in cross-country racing is seen as a really uh, good way to make a bike go faster um but i also thought it it really looked like an aero cockpit on a aero road bike they use integrated bars and stems primarily to cut aerodynamic drag because uh, you no longer have the kind of the the square sort of face plate of the stem you can have a 
a bar that's it's almost like a wing it's it's like a, a d section in in cross section so it's um it cuts through the air better basically um and it looked very similar and if you looked at the uh uh even the the headset spaces we had that that d section of that that aerodynamic shape that you see on aero road bikes and i, I was thinking is this bike designed to be aerodynamic and um, can, Canyon are making no such claims, as far as I know. No, they. they I went on the um, the presentation for for the Xseed, um, and they. Well, I, in fact, I chatted to one of the guys from Canyon UK about it as well, and, and they they don't make any aerodynamic claims about the the handlebars and the bike itself. However, as we're sort of inferring, I, I, I think it's probably was in their minds when they were designing it. Um, one of the things that they, they did talk about was the design of the handlebars, maybe not in terms of the actual um, units, you know, aerodynamic drag, but the overall system of it has been designed with a flatter top so that racers can hold on to the tops of the bars towards the stem um, a lot more comfortably. Now, the, the guys who designed the bike, the, the lead engineer and the product designer for the Exceed, both have a history of racing World Cup cross country, and both of whom have raced um, the Cape Epic in in South Africa together as a team. You know these these guys aren't you know your average cyclist. They're very very high end. You know maybe not quite world class in terms of winning um, international races, but certainly able to compete at that super top end um, level. And you know as we might talk about in a bit the. The design of those handlebars to be able to hold the bars close to the stem comfortably has a massive impact on drag um, and aerodynamics, which is why they're doing it. Yeah, so I did some research into this and Specialized did a test a little while ago uh, looking at uh, different positions um, in a wind tunnel, but on a mountain bike. And uh, that's quite unusual to even see a, a mountain bike in a wind tunnel. But what they found is really surprising. They found that if you compared a kind of quite a sort of standard mountain bike position where you're quite upright with your arms fairly straight to where you're kind of hunched towards the stem a little bit. So you're, mm. you're kind of bending your elbows, uh, but with your hands still on the grips. And then they looked at putting your hands on the crown of the fork, as you sometimes see people do. It's a really kind of dangerous position to mm. be in. And then they, com- they compared that to having your hands on the bar next to the stem, as Canyon were uh, referring to in that, with the, with the design of that handlebar. And they found that the having your hands next to the stem was by far was the fastest position, even faster than having your arms on hands on the crown. Mm-hmm. So we can all stop doing that <laughs> uh, as if as if we ever should have been, uh, <laughs> but we can stop doing that. But but they found that. So they looked at uh, a, a mountain bike race called the, Led- the Leadville 100, which is a pretty kind of high-speed race. It's not the most technical course, admittedly, but it is a mountain bike race. Um, and they found that if you go from the upright position to the most aerodynamic position, which is your hands by the handlebars, uh, at the average speed of the winning uh, winning pace for that mm-hmm. race, which is about uh, 16 miles an hour or 26 kilometers an hour. At that pace, they reckon you'd be going 6% faster on a mountain bike 
with your hands close to the stem and with your elbows dropped compared to the the wide stance. Right. And even the even the position where you've still got your hands on the grips but your elbows are bent, mm-hmm. they reckon that was about four and a half percent faster. So really? even by just bending your elbows, you can make most of that benefit. And obviously, you're not going to be able to do that all the time. Um, but the, the, there's clearly but you some can significant gains. do it on the faster, flatter sections of the tra- of the trail and make, even if you can make some of that gain, like even if you could make half of it. So you know, you're doing it half the time. Maybe you save two percent over the whole course. That would be huge. I mean, it, to, to put it into context, you know, like the Leadville 100 is is a 100 mile mountain bike race. So if you're two percent faster because of your aerodynamic stance in those positions, if if you had you and another guy who was or girl who was exactly the same pace but didn't do the aero, you would finish two miles before they'd be two miles behind you at the end of the race. And that you know, when you put it into context like that, saving a percent or two percent is so significant. Yeah, so so they reckon that the most and least aerodynamic positions, if you could hold those positions over the entire race, would be worth about twenty-one minutes, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, which, yeah, you know, you could you could stop and fix a puncture, you could stop and have a have a nice like a lunch, yeah, have a have a latte. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a it's a big thing, and we're not saying for a second that you could reap all of that benefit, um, because you can't hold your hands by the stem for the whole race. It's just impossible, especially with cross country courses getting more technical. But if you could, um, it it just serves to illustrate how thinking about aerodynamics is a big deal. It's it's a much bigger deal than uh, saving a few grams. So, so with the, with this year was meant to be an Olympic year, and so we've seen a lot of very light cross country hardtails come out from Canyon, from Specialized with their Epic, and and with the new Mon- Mondreca podium. And the Mondreca was making a big song and dance about how it's the lightest hardtail ever, lightest frame ever, but it's fifteen grams lighter than the Specialized. So it's it seems to me like um, the weight of all those bikes uh, are pretty similar. And so the marginal gains that you can make by making the bike lighter are extremely marginal. Mm. Um, and of course, that only saves you time while you're going uphill. Whereas if you can be more aerodynamic, you can save time pretty much everywhere, um, apart from when you're on the brakes or when you're going so slowly that aerodynamics don't, doesn't matter. But, but at the top level, it's important to remember that the top guys are going very fast a lot of the time. Um, yeah, we're so, not so just, just the speed is high enough that aerodynamics really do come into play. We're not just talking sort of cross country and you know the proper sort of the lycra clad uh, rider here. You know when you, when we're talking about aerodynamics and, and discussing why aerodynamics maybe isn't as much of a thing in mountain bike as it should be. You know we can also look at downhill. I did a <clears throat> before we record this. I did a little bit of digging around and just looked at you know one race last year, Leo Gang um, race. Uh, the World Cup downhill. So the the course is about two point three kilometers long, uh, like Bruni. I think one in a in a time of three minutes and nineteen seconds there or thereabouts. So you know, the, the, you know while it won't be I- exact, um, the average speed um, of Loic was. If I just bring up the data, I, th- I think the average speed was uh, forty two kilometers an hour on average um, for those three minutes and sixteen seconds. So you know. 
that's a significant speed um, at which aerodynamics undoubtedly plays quite a large um, impact. Yeah, for sure. And uh, so downhill riders are um, quite often making compromises between rolling resistance of their tyres and uh, uh, and grip. So um, they know that having a uh, sometimes a semi-slick or a, a, a less grippy tyre will will make them faster overall because it will save them uh, rolling resistance and so make them faster on those those flatter straights. But um, that's a compromise. You've got to trade off grip with uh, rolling speed. Um, whereas if you could save on aerodynamics, that that's a win-win. There's no downside to that. And and we've seen that with uh, Ben Cathro mm. uh, when he was on the Mojo team with uh, Chris Porter. Uh, I think it was about 2008. Um, they tested with uh, skin suits when they were still legal, but there was almost a kind of a gentleman's agreement, if you if you want to use that term. Um, more of a kind of, if you ask me, more of a kind of a who's the coolest competition <laughs> to uh, to to avoid the skin suits and use the 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 baggy kit, and it was baggy shorts back then. Um, and so Ben Cather, among others, were used the skin suits because it was perfectly legal, and and uh, and why not? Kind of seems kind of seems silly to me not to, to be honest. But that's that's my opinion on the matter. Um, and I think he got his best result ever. I think I think he was eighth. Yeah, he, he um, certainly did did real he well. He certainly well well within the top ten. Um, I mean, the anecdote that you you hear from from that from you know I spoke to Chris Porter about it was that the first time he you know he he practiced in his normal kit, um, and then the first run he did, uh, I think it was still a practice run or a quali run or something, but he he did it in his skin suit for the first time and he overshot the first corner because his braking points were so far out because he was going that much faster that he you know he just popped off the top of the of off the berm. Yeah, yeah, and. So, so skin suits are, of course, illegal nowadays for, for downhill. Um, but that doesn't stop people looking more and more into aerodynamics. And so uh, I mentioned shorts earlier. Shorts have been pretty much completely taken over by, by trousers for downhill mm-hmm. riding. And I think the main reason for that is, is aerodynamics. It, it's more aerodynamic to have a, a well-fitted trouser than a, uh, a short because if you think about a baggy short, you have like almost a, almost like a windsock facing into the wind uh, on your thigh, um, and so so there's an aerodynamic advantage to going to trousers over shorts, and I think that's one of the main reasons why you see it mm-hmm. uh, everywhere now. Um, and uh, we all know that you know kit is getting tighter and tighter and closer to the limit of what's allowed. Um, but I wonder if we'll start to see, as we're kind of speculating with that Canyon cross-country bike, I wonder if we'll start to see um, aerodynamics designed into the bike. Into the actual as, frame as and do, the components. As we do road bikes. What's that? Uh, 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 sorry. Um, as we see with sort of frames and components and wheels, you mean? Uh, yes. Yeah, so as you see on the roadside. But uh, as far as I know, you know, mountain bikes are pretty much ignore the aerodynamic um aspect in their design um 
which is not true of the roadside, even for climbing bikes. We even see climbing bikes now that are, have a, a heavy uh, influence uh, of aerodynamics. Uh, because even if your your main thing is climbing, you'll still be going fast enough that aerodynamics starts to play a role. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you can save a few watts uh, from aerodynamic drag and you have um, a few more watts left over to kind of um, overcome gravity, uh, then in percentage terms, that could be quite significant, um, especially compared to saving a few grams on the frame um, or, or the bike generally. Um, what do you think, what opportunities do you think there are in terms of component and frame manufacturers to incorporate more aerodynamic shaping into, you know, forks, wheels, frames, that sort of thing? So if you look at man bike nowadays, most of the tubes are, roughly speaking, round. Uh, certainly the seat tube, the forks, the handbars. Um, whereas if you look at an aero road bike, they're, um, they're shaped called a cam tail, which is a bit like a teardrop shape, which would be the ideal from purely from an aerodynamics point of view. Um, so a bit like the cross section of a of a wing, uh, they're kind of rounded at the front, and then they get to the fattest point about a third of the way along, and then they kind of taper off in a kind of smooth taper. Um, that shape is not ideal from a stiffness to weight point of view because it's so long and thin. So you kind of cut the back off it, so it becomes almost like a D shape, capital D shape in cross section uh, uh and those cam tail profiles tube profiles are everywhere on aero road bikes and time trial bikes triathlon bikes um and because they have a reasonable stiffness to weight ratio you you could you could imagine seeing them on mountain bikes in future so handlebars like that integrated cockpit that we spotted on the canyon mm. um that's pretty easy to do you could even imagine that it could have an advantage in terms of uh, so one up have come up with a handlebar, a mountain bike handlebar, which is designed to be uh, more stiff in the four, like forwards to back direction, so that when you're uh-huh. steering, it's stiff. But it's designed to be more flexy in the up and down direction. Mm-hmm. And you, you see that, you hear that all the time. You know, laterally stiff and vertically compliant. But with a handlebar, you can kind of have your cake and eat it too, because if you had that flatter shape. It would be more aerodynamic and it would be more uh, vertically compliant, mm-hmm. uh, potentially. Or could be, uh, yeah, and, yeah. And maybe with that handlebar, that's kind of what they're going for. Then maybe they're going for that vertical flex mm. and also making it more comfortable to, to hold. That, that um, D-shape we also saw on the new BMC um, two-stroke uh, hardtail, which is kind of it's quite an aggressive um, XC hardtail, sort of maybe more down country than anything else. Now they again on the presentation for that bike, they didn't talk about aerodynamics. They talked about um, the compliance that that shaped seat post gave. Um, but it certainly, yeah, it, but it certainly ties into um, the shaping that we see um, with those more aerodynamic road bikes as well. So maybe there is an element of that. Maybe they haven't had the opportunity to do full sets of testing on it to make those claims, but. Yeah, there's, there's potential there for that. So does that mean you can't run a dropper post with that bike? Well, so what they've also done is they've provided a um, an adapter that slots into the seat tube, so you, you can run a 27.2 seat post. Um, I mean, we're seeing you know, a, a separate sort of uh, conversation, obviously, but uh, we're seeing 
increased numbers of 27.2 uh, dropper seat posts coming to the market, both because of the cross-country market, which still wants those uh, lower diameter seat posts, um, whether they're rigid um, to give more flex, but also the opportunity to run droppers, but also from the gravel market, which, you know, a similar thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, that is interesting because I would have, I would have thought that you could get, you can, there are plenty of very compliant, uh, very flexible seat posts uh, in the 27.2 standard. Mm. Um, can you make one, for example? It's very flexy. In fact, it's much more flexible than pretty much any frame. Yeah, in fact, that's what's on the XC, actually, the SLC 25, whatever it's called, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, that seems suspicious to me that they would, um, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but it seems like you can you can engineer a lot of flex into a, a seat post with a, a ra- around 27.2 diameter. Mm. Um, so, so maybe there is a nod towards aerodynamics going on there. One of the things that you obviously see on the road side of things a lot is is aerodynamic wheels. Um, and one of the the big things that they're sort of, well, I guess, discovered a few years ago was was having the um, the rims um, outer width the same as, or maybe even slightly wider than, than the tires. I mean, that's going to be pretty bonkers on a mountain bike because there's obviously different requirements for how a, a tire interacts with the rim and the ground on a mountain bike than there is on a on a road bike. But do you think we we might start to see more? Um, aerodynamics put into wheel design well possibly but you could argue that we've already tried that with the uh the disc wheels on mountain bikes of the 90s Um, disc drive yeah and of course they were terrible because if you got a side wind particularly in the air Mm -hmm. it was uh it made the handling terrible but um uh maybe maybe you could uh maybe you could have a again you're trying to you're trying to make that teardrop shape so on the roadside, you have a tire. You want the tire to kind of flow into the rim and then for the rim to sort of get wider and then narrower and sort of taper off in that smooth taper. Um, and maybe you could do something similar on the mountain bike side. But, uh, of course, mountain bikes have to have much wider tires. Uh, and we've done quite a few tests on to tire width and found that a lot of the time a wider tire will help you go faster because it gives you less rolling resistance over bumpy terrain. And so the bumpier the terrain, uh, the more important it is to have that bigger tire because it, it kind of smooths out the bumps and, and actually rolls faster as well as making it more comfortable and giving you more traction. So I think with mountain bikes, that's probably the bigger factor. Um, and because you have such a big tire, maybe the aerodynamics of the rim is kind of neither here nor there. Um, but I'm not sure. Um, I think certainly with kind of frame profiles, tube profiles, and um, and and you know the handlebars we discussed, uh, I think that's probably more of a more of a win-win. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas I think doing any kind of deep section rim would would have a lot of di- a lot of downsides. Um, and the other thing that we sort of mentioned when we had that canyon, uh, that canyon harter was about brake lines and cables. Yeah. Because on on road bikes, you know, aero road bikes, cables are always hidden. Uh, Mountain bikes obviously have a bit of a mess of cables out the front. But um, so because that bike had a 
quite a lot of, of mountain bikes nowadays have a, a headset which stops um, stop the handlebar spinning at a certain angle, partly to stop your uh, brake levers uh, hitting into your top tube and damaging it. Um, but that means that you no longer need as much uh, as much of a loop of cable in front of your handlebars. And so you can have the cable go almost directly um, to the stem mm. or into the frame. And if you're doing that, then you could you could tuck them into the handlebar. You could tuck them behind the handlebar or something, um, and that might save a little bit. Um, this is something that, that you know again, Canyon did talk about, and and there was an element of, of aerodynamics and weight in there. So the um, the cables on this bike go into effectively the top cap of the or the the, the top sort of covering cap of the headset, um, and the cables then sort of have the effective slack you need in order to rotate the handlebars is sort of held within the head tube. So on the Exige, the cables can take an incredibly direct line from the end of the brake um, lever into that top of the headset. Um, you know, you, you don't need any slack in there. So you can save weight and it cuts down on that on that drag, um, cuts down on sort of the, the mess at the front of the bike. Um, there's less, um, I'm not sure how easy you'd be able to tuck uh, hoses into a handlebar just because of the design of traditional brake levers on a mountain bike but um you know certainly shifters you know the, the shifter cable comes a bit closer to the bar and obviously now we have wireless shifting anyway with SRAM if, if you're running that so certainly cutting down on the cable mess is, is something that a lot of people are doing mm, yeah I, I imagine the motivation for that is far more um aesthetics mm. um than it is aerodynamics but it still uh, has some, some benefit, benefit. Yeah, it might do. Yeah. So uh, I think we, we've talked a lot about sort of the racing side of it, you know, the pros, you know, whether it's cross country or the Leadville or, or, or downhill. But, you know, as much as I'd love the whole of uh, the downhill World Cup to be listening to the White Radar podcast, I suspect um, they're not all listening um, all the time. But what about sort of regular riders out there, you know, people who, you know, you know, you and me, people who are listening, um, what do we need to worry about aerodynamics? Why should we care? Well, you don't need to worry about anything uh, that we <laughs> that we talk about, really. I mean, if you're if you're having fun on a bicycle, then great. But if you if you want to go faster, if you want to get more out of your bike, uh, if you want to make it easier for yourself, if you want to be able to ride further and uh, and what have you, then then yeah, people are going to start worrying about or, or start taking notice of these things. And I think. When when you're talking about kind of marginal gains, whether it's sort of um, making your chain loop chain more efficient or your aerodynamics more efficient, I think it's useful to compare it to to weight because people will see um, people perceive saving weight as a as a really um, good thing to do. So if you're uh, in order to make yourself faster and make it easier. Um, but if you if you think about how a bike and a rider might weigh best part of a hundred kilograms, so if you could save a, a kilo, that's that's a huge saving. You know that would represent a huge financial investment. You're saving one percent of the total weight, and so your power to weight ratio will be improved by one percent. So you'll on a steep climb, you'll you'll go uphill at a best one percent faster. Um, whereas if you're if you're talking about saving quite a few watts from aerodynamic drag, then that could improve your climbing speed by more than that. 
because you know a handful of watts is um, a good chunk of your power, um, much more than one percent. Uh, so that will improve your power to weight ratio by a, a greater factor. And the same argument is true with, with chain lube, by the way, like lubing your chain properly makes it a much bigger difference than saving a few grams or even a kilogram. Um, and of course, the aerodynamics matters whenever you're going reasonably quickly, not just when you're going up a steep hill. So it's um, for, for a, a flatter course, like like Leadville 100 we mentioned earlier, it's it would make a big deal, a, a big difference. Even if you're just riding with your mates or on your own, you want to go faster for whatever reason. Maybe you just enjoy riding quickly. Um, the aerodynamics aspect might be a bigger deal than, you know, that lighter carbon frame or that lighter carbon handlebar that you've been lusting after. Those things will make a very marginal uh, difference to your overall speed. Um, and aerodynamics might be a way more cost-effective way of going faster. Um, and we're not, in this case, in terms of like everyday riders, we're not talking about redesigning the tube profiles of your bike, but we are talking about things like kit and clothing. Yeah. So um, John did a test on Bike Radar a few years ago where he looked at wearing like cross-country Lycra baggy uh, mountain bike kit and sort of, Still baggies, but uh, uh, baggies. Exactly, like a kind of modern kind of trail riding kit, which is quite, quite, um, quite nice cuts to it, where it's it's quite fitted. Mm. And he found that there was a huge difference even when descending. So uh, even if you're doing a technical descent, he found he's consistently faster with the more more aerodynamic kit, even if it was the in between sort of closely fitting baggies. Um, so when you're looking at um, if you if you want to go faster on your mountain bike, which I realize not everyone is that interested in, but if you are, um, maybe instead of that carbon handlebar, a much much wiser way of making yourself a bit faster and and, and getting some kind of benefit is by looking at a kit that fits you a bit more closely. I think I mean even anecdotally like. I, I sort of used to wear fairly baggy kit because that was kind of cool. And now like I, I, I go out of my way to try and pick that closer fitting kit and not, not because actually, cause I want to, I'm bothered about the time it takes me to get down a hill, but because it feels better in, in my opinion, you know, having that closer kit, which still, you know, I'm not going to go to my you know local trail center on my 160 mile travel bike and, and wear a Lycra kit, but I'd rather not have, you know, big heavy materials flapping around constantly. You, you know, you can hear it in the wind. You can hear, you know, you can feel it on your legs when you're going down something fairly fast. Having something slightly more tailored, slightly closer fitting, you know, it's it's less intrusive onto your riding experience anyway and kind of does feel sort of faster if that, if that matters or not. I don't know. Yeah, I completely agree. And I remember, like, in the mid-2000s, it was really cool to have almost moto style shorts mm. that were really baggy and they used to they used to collect more mud because there's more material mm-hmm. and they, then they used to sort of catch on your saddle yeah and things because they were they were just so baggy uh, i'm very glad we've moved away from that mm. uh, for lots of reasons um but yeah i agree i think it, it feels better to ride in kit that that fits you a bit more closely and likewise you know technical fabrics you know if you are you know if you 
if you're going to ride in cycling specific kit, are you not going to just chuck on a t-shirt and a pair of, you know, whatever shorts? You know, the, these material, yeah, these materials are designed to to perform for, for in an athletic sort of way. You know, they're there for moisture management, for heat management, and they work better if they're closer to your skin and, and flapping around less. You know, it's how they're designed to work. Yeah, talking of uh, free speed. Mm. Um. What about the subject of uh, shaving legs? Yes. Because you've tested that in the wind tunnel, haven't you? I have. I have. So I, um, this was uh, a little while ago. I uh, spent some time at the Boardman wind tunnel. Um, and okay, it was for a Cycling Plus feature, but um, I, I went to the wind tunnel with hairy legs uh, and I came out of the hair tunnel uh, uh, um, of the wind tunnel with unhairy legs, um, and we did manage to. It get must some have been very powerful wind. <laughs> blew me away how powerful it was. <laughs> but um, okay, so we, we, for a bit of context, when you go into um, a wind tunnel, obviously it's quite a different um, environment to riding your actual bike because you you effectively set um, a yaw angle, which is the direction at which the wind comes at you. You set a wind speed. Um, so it's very sort of it's scientific rather than real world testing, but um, but it, it does give you sort of accurate data if that makes sense. And, and the Boardman wind tunnel has was designed for cycling specifically, so designed to work at lower speeds than a regular car uh, wind tunnel. Um, the instrumentation was incredibly accurate for you know a person on a bike, so very confident that the data is legit. Um, so, you know, we had half a day in there. We had a zero degree yaw angle, so straight into a headwind um, at about 34 kilometres an hour. Um, so what's that, 20, 20 miles an hour there or thereabouts? Maybe a touch more. So shaved legs. Um, I uh, took uh, eight watts in difference. Okay, so that was shaved legs, and I trimmed my facial hair a little bit. Um and you know, from that's with a pair of sort of mid-length socks, uh, regular cycling lycra, um, and my face. Um, and yeah, just by getting rid of excess hair, I saved eight watts um, at thirty-five kilometers an hour, which I think is, you know, again, eight watts is a fair amount. You know, it, say you can put out two hundred watts. If you're putting out two hundred watts, that's a, you're going a fair effort. You know, so that's a four percent, four percent gain. Um, yeah, and 4% also, I mean, it's huge. 4% is huge, not just from the speed point. You know, I'm an advocate of shaving legs, okay? like, And from mountain biking, I'm sorry, it makes... I don't... Currently, my legs are um, hirsute, um, perfectly hairy, but um, that's because I'm a bit lazy. But from a mountain biking point of view, complete side um, conversation here, right? It makes so much sense, right? Legs are easier to clean. They are faster. And if you come off, you get cuts and scrapes and grazes. They heal better. And it's easier to sort of put, you know, your soothing creams on there. You know, I would be all over it being quite a normal thing for every cyclist to shave their legs. But there we go. That's just, you know, my little hairy, hairy rant. I think we may agree to disagree on that one. But if I was going cross-country racing, yeah, yeah you, you're a fool not to, I think. Um, because it's it's free speed and it's not an insignificant amount of free speed if yeah. you're if you're trying to you know chase percentage points I mean, think about how much uh, sickening training sessions you have to do to gain four percent yeah um, a huge amount especially if you're already fit um, yeah totally 
you know, I mean, I, I could improve my power to weight by four percent if I trained a lot. But once I had done that, and once I was already fit, um, like national level fit or World Cup level fit, you know, you're not going to get another four no. percent um, very easily at all, if at all. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think we've um, we've we've given our we've given our case. I think we'll probably try and wrap it up. Um, yeah, but um, yeah, uh, you know, mount, you know, aerodynamics and mountain biking isn't something that's often discussed, and obviously on the road side of things, it, it really is. But um, I think maybe over the next year or two, hopefully, we'll start to see a little bit more discussion about the, the role of aerodynamics and how they can and and, and will play. I, I I do think mountain bike companies, and especially when you're talking about the race side of things, you know, people do actually care about it. It's just not talked about. So maybe we need to sort of have this conversation a bit more openly and. and and start to address it a bit yeah and um i i would i would predict um that in the next few years we will start to see aerodynamics mentioned Mm. um in mountain biking certainly cross-country race downhill race uh maybe enduro we'll start to see it uh, become a, a design consideration and sort of part of the marketing spiel um but I think I, I'm going to carry on from a kind of day-to-day perspective. I'm going to carry on with um, wearing kit that is a bit closer fitting without being full Lycra um, because it's nicer to ride in and it probably does give you a better speed advantage than a lot of very expensive uh, components you could upgrade your, your bike with. Um, okay. So yeah. I guess that's that's a good place to end it on, I think. A good place to end it. Well, yeah. Thank you very much for for listening. Thank you, Seb, for for your time and, and insights as well. Um, don't forget to subscribe to the, the Bike Radar podcast. Um, it can be delivered straight to your phone um, once or twice a week. But, yeah, thank you very much. Lovely. Thanks, Tom. All right. Goodbye. See you soon. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Bike Radar podcast. If you want any more information on what we've been talking about or more news and views on cycling, check out bikeradar.com. Bye.